Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Hey, everybody. What is going on? Today is Sunday. It's the 27th of December, 2015. I hope everybody had a very good Christmas and got all the stuff that they wanted and all their dreams came true. Anyway, let's go ahead and get our contact info going and then we'll jump in with the show. If you would like to contact me, I have a couple different ways you can do that. have the voicemail, which is 206-745-2731. The email address is firearmscafe at gmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. And you can record an MP3 and I'll play that for you on the show. Or if you would like, you can just send me an email and I'll read it out for you. There are Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube buttons over at the website. There's also a PayPal donation button and an Amazon search box. All right, let's go ahead and jump in with the show and get going here. On the first part of the show, I want to talk about a uh, gun that I am very excited to get, and I, as I'm, I feel I'm getting closer and closer. And my hope is that somebody has bought this particular gun for Christmas. Maybe they got it as a gift, and then they're like, eh... They went out and shot it, and it's just not the gun for them. And so hopefully they're going to put it up on uh, on for sale, and I will be able to swoop in and get it at a good price. And that particular gun is one I've talked about before, and that is the HK Heckler & Coke VP9. Where should I start with this thing? I talked about the gun, oh, a few months ago on the show. And how that I had gone down to uh, one of the local gun stores and I was able to compare it with a Walther PPQ, the M2 version, and also with a, uh, a Glock 17. And I carry a Glock 17 all the time. So size-wise and weight-wise, they're going to be about the same. So it's not really going to be much of a difference for me for concealed carry. And I have a little bit different circumstance than other people, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but anyway, from that aspect, it won't be that big of a deal. But once I held the gun, and once I got to dry fire it a bunch, and then once I got to compare it to the others, the overall package of the VP9 was something that appealed to me way more than the Glock, way more than the Walther PPQ. So the, the the ergonomics of it, I thought, were superior to all. The trigger, I would I would still give probably the trigger to the Walther PPQ. However, somebody like me, the, the difference is not light years apart. It's just that I would rate the PPQ's trigger just a little bit better. But for me, it's really not going to make that much of a difference. Uh, I, I thought the reset on the PPQ was a little bit better than the reset on the VP9. But, you know, other than that, how they how they both broke and everything like that, was they were fantastic. But I the more I goofed around with it and kind of played with it and stuff, the more I came to like that paddle release on the trigger guard, the side of the trigger guard, better. I, I, I really like that a lot. I like the fact that you can go in and really customize that vp9 to fit your hand i think it'll fit a lot uh, it'll be something that will uh, fit a lot more people 
And that's something that I wish Glock would do. I wish, and I guess they just don't have to. They're they're probably just too popular. They probably operate under that. Well, if it's not if it's not broke, don't fix it. But if if Glock would go the route of of making their uh, their their uh, the frame, the grip, you know, where you're gripping the gun, so the butt of the gun. If they would make it to where that could just be a little bit uh, more, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Like customizable, or uh, that's not the word I'm looking for, but you know what I mean. To where it can fit more people, so that you, if you have somebody with smaller hands, then that gun would work for them a lot better. Anyway, having said that, you know, it used to be too that. When a, a new pistol would come out, you would have to kind of wait for holster makers and, you know, maybe somebody that's going to make a magazine extension. You would kind of have to wait around a few months for that stuff to happen. But now, at least with the holster makers, it seems like what they're doing is they're maybe getting that stuff out to the bigger companies and probably even to some of the smaller shops and stuff, uh, or, or you know, as quick as they can so that they're understanding more the marketing of the gun because people are going to say, well, you know, I'll, I'll hold off on buying it until a holster comes out. And and when the gun companies are putting out a new product or when any company puts out a new product, they want you to buy it then. They don't want you to wait around because you may buy something else. So it makes sense for them to team up with some of the holster makers and say, hey, here's the gun that we got coming out. Here's the, you know, here's this uh, uh, model of it so you can make your holsters, get your dimensions and do all the other stuff that you want. So like I said, for for me, that I think is going to be once I can get a hold of the gun and once I can run it and actually fire it, I've tried to, there's there's no, or at least as the last couple of months, there were no ranges that I called up that had a VP9 that I could actually go in and rent and shoot. They, they just didn't have it. Uh, they may in the future, but they just don't right now. Also kind of talking about the some of the accessories or aftermarket parts for it. I was on hkparts.net and they actually do have some, some extensions for the magazine. So for those of you guys maybe that don't know the VP nine, even though it's the size of a, uh, a Glock 17, and even though the, the magazine is the same magazine that they use in the P 30, but even though that magazine is basically the same size of a Glock 17, the VP9 only has 15 rounds, which I thought was a mistake on HK's part. I thought that they should have, for a gun that, that is, is that size, they should have offered a 17-round magazine as standard. But I think they were a little lazy with that, and they designed it to where they could say, well, we can, still, we can use this existing product that we already have, and we don't have to tool up other stuff, you know, blah, blah, blah. Maybe in the future, maybe they'll come out with their own uh, 17 round magazine. I kind of doubt it. Uh, maybe they will, maybe they won't, but I think that would be a long shot. But anyway, they have a, uh, over at hkparts.net, they have extensions for the, uh, for the, for the magazine. One of them is a, it's a two round. It starts with a two round. They have a plus two, plus three, plus four and plus five. And I think with the four and five round extension, they give you an additional, they give you a, a, a different spring uh, so that you still have the, the, the proper tension. And I don't know if they do that with the, 
with a three round extension or not. Now the, the cost and, and here's kind of another downside or here's a downside, I guess, to the HK stuff is it is pricey. Whereas Glock has been around and I think has, has um, there's so much aftermarket stuff and their, their economy of scale have been able, they've been able to sort of bring some of the prices down. So a lot of times you can find uh, a 17 round uh, G17 magazine for $19 on sale. You can sometimes find even the, th- the 33 rounders that was made originally for the Glock 18. You can find those sometimes for, I think the, I, I found them for around like $33 or something like that for that, which is pretty dang good. Uh, but you know, you can find them on sale. And the downside is that the, the, the magazines, even if you when you find them on sale for the HK, they are, oh, I'm looking at here, they're $44 just for the magazine. And that's the 15 rounder. The extension, so let's say like the two round extension is 34. So basically you're looking at like $35 for that extension for the two round you're looking at basically $45 on sale. Normally they're going to cost, you know, probably 50 to 55 is what you could find them for kind of normally. So, you know, at that point, you know, if you're looking at, even if you could get it on sale, you're still looking at, you know, pretty much $80 if you wanted to get that extension, you know, now if you were just buying the extension, you were going to put it on a, some magazine that you already had, Again, it's still thirty four dollars that that um, that stuff kind of has to be factored in. Now, also with the VP nine, and I'll get back to some of this magazine stuff here in a little bit. But also with the VP nine, you can get, I guess, the the law enforcement version, or you can get, for lack of a better term, we'll just call it like the regular version. So the regular version, they have those sights that you can charge up with a flashlight or if you probably just expose it to the light and the, the, the sights will glow. I don't know how long they glow because, again, I don't have the gun, so I don't, I don't know how long that kind of lasts. Um, in the law enforcement version, and you get two magazines with that. The law enforcement version, it's you know still the same gun except you actually get night sights. And the, the rear sight on the regular version is kind of that sloped version to give you kind of your quote, low drag unquote for drawing. And the, the night sight version on the law enforcement thing, I guess is, is like a true, more of a true night sight. And the, the rear sight is sort of that 90 degree up. So you could, you could rack it off the rear sight as well. Um, although with that VP, they do have those racking or the charging assist thing. I don't know what they call it. Uh, which at first I thought was a gimmick, but the more I thought about it, the more I kind of liked it. And actually, once I handled it and was able to mess around with it a little bit in the gun store, I really liked it. I thought it was kind of a neat idea. Um, and you can take it out if you hate it. So anyway, the the law enforcement version of it, like I said, you get those night sights and then you, you get an extra magazine. So depending on what magazine you're going to get, or um, I mean, uh, what night sights you would get, they can run you anywhere from like a hundred to hundred and fifty dollars or so, depending on where you get them and what you're gonna, what what set you're gonna use and all that kind of jazz. And then your magazine, like we talked about before, is again another forty four dollars if you can get it on sale. So you could be looking anywhere from 
probably 150, 160 up to around $200. And that is sort of reflected in the price if you go with a law enforcement version. And I'll have to do a little bit of research. I think what I'll probably end up doing is, unless I could find one used, like I was talking about before, like maybe somebody got the law enforcement version and it's only maybe 75 or or $100 more. And if I could get the, the magazine, the extra magazine, and uh, be able to swoop in on there and, and get it with the night sights for a, what I would consider a fair price, then I would do it that way. And I, I, I've mentioned before, I live in Arizona, and in Arizona, there, we still have private sale. And the way that the law is, is as long as you do not have any reason to believe that the person is making a straw purchase or that they are a prohibited possessor themselves, then you have done sort of your due diligence under the law. And most people out here want you to sign a bill of sale. If you're not willing to do that, most people won't sell it to you. Uh, I know I wouldn't sell it to uh, sell a gun to anybody that wasn't willing to do that. Most people will out here, um, the majority of people that are kind of, will say that are in kind of the gun culture or, or kind of in the good guy side of the gun culture, have a concealed carry permit. And pretty much everybody that I have bought or sold a gun to or bought stuff from has had a concealed carry permit. Uh, so, or, or they've, uh, one guy that I actually bought something from, he didn't have one, but we signed a bill of sale and, you know, we did everything and he, you know, so, uh, everything was copacetic with that type of stuff. So anyway, I think that's maybe about all I got to say about the, the, uh, Oh, one other thing. They do have this thing. So like I said, they have the, you know, the two, three, four, or five round. And I think later on, what I wouldn't mind doing is getting maybe a couple of those five, getting a couple of extra magazines and getting a couple of those five round magazine extensions to have four in the house. I think the extension would make it a little, just, it would make it just too big to carry around. It's going to, it's, it's really going to kind of, stick out too much at that point. Uh, but I think if they were reliable, it would give you in that gun, if you had one in the chamber with that five round extension, it would give you 21 rounds, which I think, again, that's with a, a real heavy caveat. If it were, um, I think probably that the two round extension, Depending on how much it sticks out, you could, you might be able to get away with carrying it. Maybe not, but we'll just have to wait and see. But anyway, on, on uh, hk.net and I'm not affiliated with them or anyway, but I, uh, I, I get frustrated sometimes on podcasts when people, they don't say where they're looking at stuff or they only mention it one time. And then you're like, well, when in that podcast did they talk about that? But anyway, they have what they're calling their, I guess their 30 round magazine deal. And the way that it works is you get a new, of course you get a new spring and they have a, a polymer body that is about the length of your regular magazine. And it, it slides down over. So you, you, you take the magazine apart, you take the spring out, you take the follower out, you exchange the follower for the new spring and then you take this polymer thing and it slides down over the existing magazine and comes down to the uh, to where the the base plate would go and it kind of you sort of friction fit it in i guess and 
then you push in the spring and then you do the base plate on there that they've supplied. I uh, I don't know. It looks a little wonky to me. Uh, and it may be a thing where, you know, if you ever wanted to get one, you'd do it and take it to the range. The The cost on that, and this is their on sale cost, is $75 for that. Boy, I don't know. I mean, for a little bit more, I could buy just two of the 15 round magazines. And I think that I would rather do something like that. I don't know how practical that would be. If it worked, if it was reliable, it probably might be worth buying. And I can't, I think, I'm trying to see if what you get with it. Uh, let me read this here real quick. Uh, it says the new HK German VP. 9 slash P30 magazine body combo pre-installed along with the HK parts 30 round mag extension kit fully installed. Each offering is a complete fully assembled ready for the range 30 round mag. Okay. So you actually are getting then an extra magazine. And if you didn't like the thing, um, I guess in this instance that their little polymer extension in the, the spring is only costing you maybe, yeah, let's say around like 30 some odd dollars. So, but, so you do get the magazine with it and you're getting that regular uh, steel magazine or the metal magazine that you get with that. I haven't seen anything yet. I'll go on YouTube here. Uh, maybe before I put the show out and I'll look and see if I find, if I can find anybody actually shooting that. Um, and like I said, if it worked, it would be, it would be kind of neat, but I mean, it, it kind of looks like how the, the Glock 17 does, or it actually even looks almost more like a Glock 19 with that 30 round magazine sticking out of it. It looks, it looks kind of ridiculous, but if it worked, Hey, it would, it would be, uh, uh, something good to have. It would be something maybe that if you took it on like a camping trip or something like that, and you wanted to have uh, a large amount of rounds with you uh, that you would have in a backpack or something like that. You know, I, I don't know the things that actually kind of make sense to me are, Again, those, the two round and the five round extension, those, those type of deals. And supposedly those have like a little set screw on each side of that extension. So I don't know if you would blue Loctite them or as you fire and, you know, and if you're having, if you were going to use that for either everyday carry, or you're going to use that extension as part of your defensive system if you know what i mean so it's not just like oh something i can take to the range and i can mess around if something happens it's not a big deal again i don't know if you'd want to blue lock tie them in i don't know if there's any long-term testing that people have done with that stuff yet i don't know how much testing these guys do when they're coming up with this stuff i don't know uh, again What's, what's the time from when they get the idea and they actually develop it and then they can get it to at least work a little bit? How, how extensive is the testing? And of course, you know, you go on these sites and stuff and they just say, oh, it works. And you know, there's no problems, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know if they've got all the bugs ironed out of this stuff yet or not. Now, another thing about the VP9, I had Daniel Shaw, who is the chief firearms instructor over at Thunderbird Tactical out in, I believe, Wichita, Kansas on the show not too long ago and had a good conversation with him. You can go back and check that show out in the, uh, in the archives. But he had a thing on um, Facebook where he posted about how uh, it was an old video of when he was trying out the VP9 
and uh, he had done it through uh, some range time and also done it at a class. And I think he had put a thousand plus rounds through it at that time. And he liked it. I don't think he had any issues with it. He, I think, needed to adjust the grip, if I remember right, or maybe I'm thinking of somebody else, needed to adjust maybe some of the panels to where he could get his thumb on that uh, paddle release. Uh, like I, I think I said before, I was able to get my thumb on there a little bit with a little bit of a stretch. And I think if I messed around if, on my own gun, if I messed around with the uh, the side panels and that back panel, that I would be able to get to where I could use either the thumb or the trigger finger on that. Uh, also, before we go and talk about that, pretty much all the controls on there are ambidextrous. So for right-handed, left-handed, you're going to be able to run that gun no matter what. Or if you're a right-handed guy and you're going to want to train with your left hand uh, or you got hurt or you were in a situation maybe where your right hand is full, you know, you need, you're going to be able to run that gun still with your left hand and be able to, you know, to do a reload and all that other kind of stuff. So anyway, he had done kind of an update on Facebook on that. He has put several thousand rounds through it. I think he said it was about 6,000. Uh, it hasn't really had any major issues that I'm aware of or that he had talked about. Uh, and he still likes the He still likes the gun. I think he is looking forward to the, uh, maybe that, that shorter version of it. Now there is, I think there isn't there like a P 30, S or something like that, which I think that holds like 10 rounds. And so that's why I was thinking that if they come out with the VP nine K or S or whatever they're going to, or SK, whatever they're going to call it, it'll probably be a 10 rounder because they'll probably use the, uh, P 30, 10 round magazines, I would think. So I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so, in, so Daniel does have a lot of experience with it. He runs it through the class. He's been carrying it a lot and it seems like it's, it's, he's been able to ring it out pretty well. Uh, other people have reported, you know, problems here and there. I don't know if, if, well, I guess I, I kind of want to say it this way. I don't really know those other people and why I don't, I, while I don't know Daniel personally, at least I've had a, a couple conversations with him and I trust his judgment and I trust his experience that he's had with his, with his gun. So, uh, again, it gives me more, more confidence in the gun. I think it's a good platform. And, and again, not just because he says so, but just even using my own judgment, uh, but also because I trust his judgment and I, I trust what he has to say about stuff. He doesn't, he's not going to make anything up or give you uh, a bunch of nonsense just to say something. He's not really beholden to anybody at, at the HK or anything like that. So, um, what else was I going to talk about that thing? I think that's about it. So I wanted to talk about something. Now this was kind of old news, but it's a, it's new news to me. And this happened back in 2013. I believe it was 2013. And there was a guy, his name was Jeffrey Barton. And I think this happened in July of 2013. He uh, lives up in Washington, uh, Washington State, not Washington, D.C., and he was charged with a misdemeanor for, uh, I think the, the legal nomenclature of it would be for illegally discharging a firearm. And he pled, he pled guilty, or excuse me, he pled not guilty to the charge. And 
then there was kind of an update by the time, you know, kind of course get her rolling and all that other stuff. It had been almost a year and he, he was getting ready to have a jury trial on that. And I guess probably during that time, the prosecutors probably came to him or through his attorney and said, Hey, you know, you need to, uh, we're, we'll offer you a plea deal or do this or this, that. And he was like, no, I don't want to do that. I I'll, I'll go for the trial. And as, as news of this stuff got out, and like I said, I had never heard about any of this stuff. He, I guess had gone on like CNN and on the daily show and talked about how he was using the Joe Biden defense, meaning that for those of you guys that don't remember, don't know when vice president shortly after Sandy hook, vice president Biden was doing, um, some video interview with some, and I don't remember who the video interview was with, but he was talking about that. If you, if you wanted a gun for self-defense, what you should do is you, you, all you need is a double barrel shotgun. And then he, what he said was, and I remember from watching the thing, he, and this is a bit of a paraphrase, but what he said, he told, he goes, I told my wife, Jill, if you hear somebody trying to get in outside, you go out onto the balcony and you fire off a couple of blasts in the air and whoever is trying to get in well, they're not going to. And basically, you know, he was saying, well, you don't need anything like an AR-15 or any type of a semi-auto, you know, just an old double barrel shotgun is all you need. And you don't even have to shoot anybody. You can just basically, you know, fire it in the air. Well, of course, when he did that long time ago, people were, were saying, oh my gosh, that's a, that's a horrible advice, all this other stuff. You know, you're at, you're telling people to commit, you know, misdemeanor crimes. Uh, maybe in some places it could even be a felony. Um, and you can't just fire a gun off with that. You got to know your target and all this other stuff because you're responsible. So anyway, when this guy got charged for doing just that, he basically invoked, he said, well, I just did what the vice president told me to do. And supposedly, and I don't know if this was true, but supposedly that he had a, uh, a court date in November of 2013. Uh, so a few months later, and he rejected some plea deals that were offered by the district attorney. And then he owed, he opted for a jury trial and supposedly he showed up with a t-shirt that said, Joe Biden owes me. Um, at that point, I think it was reported that a little bit before the, um, the trial was about to get to begin the actual discharging of a firearm charge was dropped. However, they then charged him, uh, with the charge of obstructing a law enforcement officer. Now I've gone to like five or six different sources to try and, and figure this stuff out. Uh, but uh, apparently also this guy, Barton, who was the guy who discharged the gun, said, you know, all this stuff is unfounded and the district attorney is just trying not to uh, get a civil lawsuit, which we're going to, which we're going to do anyway. So let's talk about a little bit about kind of this guy, Barton, what he did, how he, how he did stuff. So, so what he did in discharging the gun, but then also how he conducted himself afterwards. A lot of times in the, in the firearms community in the second amendment culture, whatever you want to call it, we'll see a story and we'll see, 
you know, person A has a gun and person A is a gun owner or person A has a concealed carry permit and they did something and we immediately, and I'm, I'm talking about kind of like the general we of the culture, we immediately sort of jump to that guy's defense and say, and without looking at anything else, we say, oh, he's a gun owner. He's a good guy. He's got a CCW permit. He's a good guy. But just because somebody owns a gun, just because somebody says they believe in the Second Amendment, just because somebody says they were just exercising their constitutionally uh, protected right of, of self-defense and owning a firearm doesn't mean that that person is a good person. It doesn't mean that what that person did, that their actions were justified or even legal. And a lot of times what I see is, is that we're too quick to jump to their, their defense or to, or to bring them into the fold. We don't, a lot of times people don't want to say, well, wait a minute, what, what was the story? What really happened? Do we have all the information? You know, are, are we doing what we accuse the other side of doing all the time? Are we leading sort of with our emotions and not using our minds and using logic and reason? And a lot of times I, I see, I, I've seen that happen a lot. And it's just sort of like the, the kind of the open carry debate. You know, a lot of people are against it. You, look, if you want to open carry, go right ahead. I don't, I've done it in the past. For me, I'm not going to do it anymore. And I've talked about it. For me, the, the minuses of it don't outweigh the pluses of it. So, uh, you know, for me, I've made the decision that I, I won't open carry. Now, even that comes with a caveat. I would probably, I would open carry if I was out camping somewhere but then I'm going to be out in the middle of the woods and there's not going to be anybody around me. So it's not going to be that big a deal for me to open carry out there. But like with the open carry Texas thing and some of this other stuff, like I was talking about before, a lot of times we'll see these people and they're kind of, I don't know, they're, they're kind of uh, grandstanding. They're kind of doing things where they're saying, look at me, you know, look how, how, uh, what a, what a staunch, wonderful second amendment supporter I am. Look, you know, look at how I'm standing up to the man. Look at how I'm shaking my fist in rage. Uh, you know, a lot of times I would go to certain rallies or I would go to certain conferences and things. And then you would always have that group of people and they're always, you know, they would puff themselves up and, and, uh, uh, you know, stroke their own egos. And they, they always would, you know, kind of have the same, the uh, same sayings and expressions and they would, you know, puff, puff out their chest and say the, what part of shall not be infringed don't you understand? And, uh, you know, I understand the sentiment, but it, it's, it's just showboating. They're, while they may believe that, the, the extent that they're going to sort of, to again, to sort of... Uh, get maybe maybe uh, uh social social brownie points from our from our group or from our culture if if you know what i mean a lot of times you know we'll we'll uh and, and probably rightly so criticize like these social justice warriors and these people that are doing stuff just to make themselves appear better in their peer group and anyway this this is the kind of guy that i think this dude is now I could be wrong about it, uh, but he seems like he's kind of a, a grandstander. It seems like he 
is is doing everything he can to get the spotlight on himself. You know, I think we can learn a lot from that. But the the thing that I think is the most important thing of this whole whole story is that what the prosecutor's office did. And when this guy basically said, I'm not going to take your plea deal. I'm going to go to trial. What they kind of found out or what they thought would probably happen, because they kind of know their area and they know, you know, who's going to be on the, for the most part, who would be on the jury and what's going to happen there. They, the, the prosecutor basically said, and this was an article from the Colombian where they're quoting the district attorney, which is a gentleman uh, named Tony Golick or Golick, I think. He said that he had doubts that a jury would be persuaded beyond a reasonable doubt that Barton violated the law when he fired shots into the air in a uh, county-designated no-shooting zone. He said a person, even in a no-shooting zone, still has the right to defend their person or property, Golick said. In this case, based on the facts, there's a reasonable argument that Mr. Barton may have been defending his person and property when he fired in the air. Then it goes on to say that the charge will be replaced with one of obstructing a, a law enforcement officer. And of course, he couldn't comment on the specific charges because it was an ongoing case, blah, blah, blah. They said that based on his conduct at the time, when this obstruction charge was was could have been leveled, that that's what they're going on. But the reality is, is they're looking for a win in this case. And what they're supposedly what happened, and again, this is trying to piece this stuff from other other articles, is that when the police arrived at the scene, uh, this Jeffrey Barton didn't didn't really cooperate with the officers' requests or commands, and they were saying, you know, that they wanted that when the police got there, of course, it's a shooting call, and they're wanting everybody to show their hands. And again, this guy probably in a grandstanding manner or one of these things of you're not going to tell me what to do, and you know, um, he said it wasn't a polite greeting to him. Now. I've talked about this show a lot about sort of the overreach of the police that we kind of let the police get away with a lot of stuff that they shouldn't be allowed to get away with. If I can't do it, they shouldn't be able to do it uh, in the line of their duty or not. They need to have constraint. You can't have a group of people that are charged with trying to keep the peace have no accountability. Uh, so anyway, before we get too far down on that rabbit hole, we always I always talk about like context is everything and context is key. And in this situation, if they're coming to a shooting and a shooting you've been involved in, if the police are saying, you know, show your hands, you got to understand it. You got to try and take into account their perspective a little bit. And well, like I said, some, some this is a little bit of an aside, but we'll get back to it. So, I've said before that there is some people are too quick to jump on the police and some people are too quick to push their bandwagon around and you need to be somewhere kind of in the middle with it. You need to 
understand that they've got kind of a tough job, but you need to understand it's still a job. They still volunteered for it and they have constraints with how they perform their duties. You can't just say, well, everything that they ever do is okay because I wasn't there. You know, that, that doesn't wash. And you can't also say, well, everything they ever do is wrong and they always you know, had excessive force. You can't say that stuff. Again, you have to look at the context. You have to look at individual incidents as individual incidents. So anyway, getting back to him, basically this guy uh, was kind of maybe being a little bit of jerky to the police. And this is one of those charges where it is... uh, kind of a wide net casting charge if you want to if you if you understand what I'm saying it's a thing where you know they're obstructing he's obstructing a police officer well what does that really mean um and is that what he really did or is it a charge that is kind of so broad and so vague that they can pretty much if they charge you with it they can kind of say almost anything that you did was obstruction. It's kind of like, you know, if, if, uh, you, the, uh, a police officer pushed you and as, as a, just as a, uh, reflex, you reached out and tried to get your balance and you, you tried to grab at him and maybe you slapped his arm and they're going to charge you now with assault. Uh, or when you're covering up and they're like beating you with a club or kicking you, they're going to charge you with resisting arrest. You know, is it one of those type of things? I don't know. In this case, maybe that guy, maybe it was a proper charge for the guy. I kind of doubt it. What I think actually happened, and this is this is my the point of me bringing this article up, even though it happened a while back. What I think actually happened is once this guy said, no, I'm not going to take the plea, I'm going to go to trial. Because probably his attorney had told him, well, you know, you could do it and you'll pay some reduced fine and that'll be that. And maybe you have to do a class. And he's, of course, this guy is maybe like one of these grandstander guys. Maybe he thinks he can get some money out of it. Maybe, you know, who knows what, maybe his attorney sat down with him and said, look, even if you go, go, we'll do a jury trial and they're not going to convict you. Or if they do, it's going to be a slap in the wrist. You know, you got nothing to lose by going to trial. But anyway, I think what the prosecutors did is once they, once the prosecutors, once they were sort of challenged by this guy refusing to do the plea, they're, what they want to do at that point is they need to get a win. If it's going to go to court, they want to get a win. And I saw this all the time when I was uh, working juvenile probation. It wasn't as bad, I think, as they do with the adult because there's a different kind of mindset when you're dealing with juveniles, but... I understand the mindset of this prosecutor and I understand the mindset of them saying this guy is kind of making us look bad and he's this loudmouth blowhard and we need to dig our heels in and we need to push back and we're going to do it any way that we can and we're going to teach this guy a lesson and more importantly we're going to send out a message that you don't mess with the state and that if you mess with us we're going to get you. And yeah, maybe you're not going to go to prison for 50 years. Maybe you're not going to pay a $5 million fine, but we're going to inconvenience you. We're going to make your life as hard as we can for as long as we can. We're going to push out your trials. We're going to have the dates pushed back because it doesn't mean anything to us. It's going to keep screwing with you. You're going to have to keep paying your attorney. 
the the charge uh, again I, I can't remember if i mentioned it before or not the charge of this obstruction of a law enforcement officer is a misdemeanor and i think i think he was actually found found guilty of the obstruction charge i think uh, because at the end of one of the articles it says that uh, this Barton, Jeffrey Barton, will be sentenced later this month. And when this was written, it was March of 2015. So I couldn't find anything that, that said there. I, I probably have to look a little bit deeper or dig a little bit deeper. But it looked like the maximum punishment he could get would be a $5,000 fine or a year in jail, or a combination of both. Since he was probably found guilty of the obstruction, because they were, that's, again, it's such a broad sweeping charge that they can pop him on just about anything. What I think they'll probably do is they will, they will give him a $5,000 fine and, and they'll maybe leave it at that. I doubt if they'll give him any jail time, but they will probably fine him. They may not give him the full, the maximum fine of 5,000. I don't know if that's a mandatory thing or not. I doubt it. 5,000 seems pretty steep for that. So I'll do a little bit more research and see if I can find out anything. Um, If anybody out there knows maybe the final resolution, I'd be interested to hear it. All I could, most of the stuff I could find on it was from, you know, a couple years ago or a year ago where the, the, like I said, the most recent thing was back in March that was from Politico, and I haven't seen any updates on there. So, uh, you know, who knows? But like I said, the, the, the main thing that I see in the, the lesson I think we should take from this is that if you're ever involved in a, in a shooting and if it ends up in court, a lot of times people tend to think of the prosecutor's office or the district attorney or the county attorney as sort of the good guys. We think of them as, oh, they're going after the criminals. And, you, and we all think of ourselves as the good guy. And maybe we want to fight a charge because we feel it's unjust. Or maybe, and, and what happens then is the prosecutor's office wants to come after you. And unless there's something like what happened with Shanine Allen, what happened with a couple other people where there's a lot of public outcry, then, um, you know, you may be sunk. They may get you up on something like this and they may stick you in jail now he he wouldn't go to probably like a he'd go to like to a county jail or something like that he wouldn't go to prison but you don't want to be in that place either but you know maybe they cost you maybe they do a thing where they're like well we'll give him the fine which is five thousand dollars and we'll uh, maybe we'll put him on instead of sending him to jail we'll put him on probation for a year and now you've got the system crawling up your butt with a microscope and you know, your life is hell. Maybe you never get, you know, and maybe you're going to be the easiest uh, person on that probation officer's caseload. You know, they're, they're going to, they're going to screw with you. Think about what you're doing because, you know, as we all know, the world's not a fair place. People have agendas. And just because we think, oh, they're, you know, they're there to put these criminals away and therefore anything that they do, you know, if they bend the rules a little bit to get that, that filthy marijuana dealer, if they do that to send him to jail for an extra couple of years, well, good for them. They, you know, that's what they deserved anyway. Remember, don't be so quick to give up your due process. 
to punish other people, to, to punish people that you don't like what they're doing, especially when it's like a victimless crime. Now, I'm not saying what he did was a, potentially it was a victimless crime because nobody got hurt, but who knows where his shots came down. Again, the thing, you know, we have to be really, really careful. We really have to look at stuff and not give up our own rights, again, to punish other people. If it's not right to bend the rules a little bit when your life and your freedom is at stake, it's not right to do it to the person, even if that person is a total scumbag. Our, the due, the, really, the due process is there to protect you and I to protect the good guys in case something bad ever happens to us. It's, a lot of people tend to think of it, oh, it's just there to, to protect these criminals and to coddle these guys and to give them an easier time. It's, and that may be the case in some instances, but in the bigger picture, it's there to protect people really like you and I if we ever find ourselves in that situation. Anyway, I'd, uh, I'd like to hear what you guys think on that. Sometimes when I talk about stuff like this, I get some... Uh, charged up feedback maybe is i don't know if that's the uh, uh, some passionate feedback maybe that's a better term for it Uh, i'd like to hear from you or if you know kind of uh when he got sentenced what actually kind of um kind of happened to the guy you know it it's it's the uh part of the um the headlines of it was you know guy fires in the you know guy fires uh shotgun in the air uses biden defense uh, firearms charges are dropped which, yeah, technically that's what happened, but that's not really what the story was. So anyway, I'm starting to kind of ramble here. It's a little bit late at night when I'm uh, putting this out. So hopefully I haven't rambled on too much. I'd love to hear from you guys. If you have any experience again with that VP9 or uh, I doubt if Daniel's listening, but if he wants to call in or I doubt if he doesn't have any time, he's so busy or send me an email or something like that. uh, I'd love to hear from you. I, uh, I'll try and maybe get in contact with Daniel here in the next uh, couple of weeks and maybe I can uh, get him to kind of talk in detail about that VP9 and his experience with it. And maybe we'll do like I do over at the Armed Ape, we'll do my, uh, kind of my five questions for a review on stuff. So, all right, well, I tell you what, I hope you guys got something out of the show today. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Uh, the feedback, I, I, sometimes I get feedback on the gun stuff sometimes, but I, re- recently I haven't gotten much feedback. I don't want to sound like I'm begging for, you know, feedback or anything like that, but I always do like to hear from you guys. I like to hear what you think. Sometimes I, uh, if it's just me kind of babbling on, I can maybe kind of get into a little bit of my own echo chamber. And uh, although I try very, very hard to to look at the kind of what I believe or what I think is going on. I try and look at it from different angles. Travis, I, I can't remember if I talked about this or not. Travis had done kind of a co-hosting thing on uh, Chaz's podcast, the uh, road gunner podcast. And he talked about that every once in a while he, he wanted to sort of kill his own gods to kill his. Uh, so basically, you know, he wants to challenge his beliefs. He wants to say, well, am I doing the right thing? And I try and do that as well. I, I don't do it as much as I should. And I know I'm probably wrong on some things, but I try very hard to, to every few, at least every few months to kind of say, okay, well, am I right on this? Am I wrong on this? Am I, uh, am I starting to fall into the trap of, because I'm sort of surrounded by, like-minded people, especially when it comes to guns, 
am I asking the right questions? And, and like we had talked about on the show last time, don't be afraid to ask that question, why? And, and more importantly, don't be afraid of the answers that you might get. And if you get an answer that kind of challenges you, really sit down and step back from your emotions. Divorce yourself from your emotions as much as you can and, and try and look at it as an outsider. Try and, uh, if it's something that you're kind of struggling with, maybe write some things down. Maybe do like a pros and cons list, things like that. And it even goes back to you know some of the stuff I've talked about before where the difference between having a position on something and having you know and, and having a, a principle about something so that if you if you say well I try and look at everything through the light of a non-aggression theory or a non-aggression principle where I don't I don't want to force somebody uh, through threats or physical force or the threat of physical violence to do something against their will. I don't want to I don't want to do that and I don't want to have the people that are supposed to represent me comport themselves in that manner. But and I don't I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole either. But anyway, uh, like I said, I'd love to hear from you guys. I hope everybody had a, a, a good Christmas. And, uh, you know, that's another thing. People get bent around the axle about this happy holidays. Don't just let people do what they want to do. If they want to say happy holidays, you know, it doesn't hurt me. I'll say Merry Christmas sometimes. Sometimes I say happy holidays. And, And when I've said that to the people I've said it to, whether I've said happy holidays or, or Merry Christmas, nobody dropped dead yet. Not one person. So anyway, I, I, I guess if that's, your main problem that you got, your your life's pretty good if that's what you're getting all up in arms about. So anyway, again, have a happy holidays and a Merry Christmas. And I hope everybody has an awesome 2016. I know I'm going to have an awesome 2016. I got a great family. I'm super lucky. I got lots of good friends. So anyway, I, I am really starting to ramble. All right, my friends, I will talk to you next time.